This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Willard, and this is Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile, an official San Francisco Giants podcast. In season one, we looked back at some of the most iconic moments in franchise history. Now, it's time to focus on the present and future. We'll cover memorable wins and the off-field moments, interests, and personalities of the 2021 Giants team and staff. Join us for season two of Inside Giant Moments, now. The Giants took an interesting approach to the recent MLB amateur draft. They filled up on arms, grabbing pitchers with their first nine picks. Director of amateur scouting Michael Holmes explains if that approach was purposeful or organic and adds his inside perspective on how the current Giants regime evaluates talent. Last year, just five rounds, no travel. This year, sort of back to normal, but only 20 rounds instead of 40. How has the last 18 months changed your job? Uh, probably no different than it's changed a lot of people's job. Just presented a lot of challenges. Um, uh, fortunately for myself uh, in the organization, we, we have a lot of really good good people, good evaluators, good scouts on our amateur and pro and international staffs who, who have been able to kind of handle, handle the challenges we faced and continue to work, but also uh, kind of look at new ways to dive into some of these players, evaluate players. It always gives us an opportunity to, to evaluate our process that we go about uh, evaluating players. So I think it forced us to think outside the box a little bit and try to be creative. Uh, but it certainly was nice uh, once spring got here this year as things started opening up across the country. Travel started to uh, ease a little bit, some of the restrictions. And uh, I'd like to say we got back to some sort of normalcy. Um, and it kind of felt like it because fortunate for us, we were able to gather in the draft room and, and prepare for this year's draft and meet uh, something we really weren't able to do last year. And um, our guys were just really excited to get back together and, and talk players and try to find the next, next great giants uh, for our system. Uh, you know, you said thinking out of the box and getting creative. I feel like that's a real strength of, of this entire crew, the, 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 the entire crew that's running the giants now. Um, in fact, I feel like that's your thing, isn't it? <laughs> Some would say that, um, I, you know, I think one of the strengths, the many strengths of, of all of our, all the guys within our, uh, in our organization, uh, from front office to, to scouts, to player development, um, everyone's willing um, to do some sort of combination of whatever it is has been done in the past with also looking at new ways to kind of do things. So I think it's important to be open-minded. I think it's also important um, to kind of share a common vision throughout all of our staffs, especially my own. Um, and I think once you kind of lay that out, um, but also give the guys the freedom and the flexibility 
to have their own processes when it comes to what they like and how they evaluate players. What you do is you get a lot of different perspectives. You kind of digest a lot of those perspectives. And I think when you have a combination of uh, different departments looking at things, the way they look through it, you come together, and it's usually the way you make your best decisions. So I wonder how that subject kind of relates to the draft itself. Uh, the Giants are a team seemingly built on taking advantage of, of market inequities. So these changes that we're talking <clears throat> excuse me, these changes that we're talking about uh, with regard to what's happened over the, the draft of the last couple of years, have they actually created an opportunity for this team in your mind? Um, I could, I, I, I would say so in some cases. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I think that every team out there is trying to look for a way um, to kind of take advantage of certain areas that they think are undervalued, certain types of players that they think go undervalued. I think it exists that way uh, in the amateur scouting world, in the pro scouting world, in the major league free agency um, I think a lot of teams are, are looking for those type of avenues when it comes to evaluating players. I also think you still can't get too far away from just the ability to go out and evaluate the player based off of skills and tools and athleticism. So uh, I think if you have a nice, a nice balance of how you kind of attack the complete evaluation of different guys, whether it's at the major league level or the amateur level, um, I think what you do is you create conversation um, the one thing I, I try to talk to our guys about is try not to be – we don't want to be too narrow-minded with what we're looking for or what we're willing to draft because then you shrink your pool. And what I mean by shrinking the pool is, you know, you eliminate a lot of players from the conversation. What we actually try to do is keep as, as big a team photo as possible. And then we once we start to drill down in conversation, the players that really that we have interest in really kind of rise to the top based off of the – based off of what we know the type of player we want. I love that comment, the biggest team picture possible. I mean, that that's, that's a great way to sort of even describe what's been going on at the major league level this year. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I think it's nice to have a vision of the type of players you want to put into the system, but I think you have to be open to, to all players out there and what type of skills they may have. Uh, I think if you look at not only our team, but a lot of teams at the major league level, the way teams are being assembled sometimes uh, or ever changing, uh, certain teams have different philosophies. But, you know, trying to put together a roster at the major league level, trying to build a system, a farm system that's productive, that gives Farhan and Scott and Jeremy options of how they want to handle certain things, uh, I think it's important to kind of keep a lot of players open and, and in play when it comes to the amateur draft. Uh, and then I think once we get together and start having those discussions of, you know, the type of players we want to be in play on, I just think it makes the picture a little clearer. Uh, take me through your personal process through the years. When you scout a player, what are you looking for? <laughs> I like good players. I know well, that right. sounds really simple and <laughs> a lot of people laugh at that, but uh, yeah, listen, I think I think we, and I'll just speak for myself. I, I think I think there's certain attributes that you look for in different players and in different positions. Uh, first of all, I preach with our staff quite a bit. Um, you know, w- we really like athleticism and aptitude. We feel like if we can find athletic, athleticism and aptitude with our players, 
and turn those type of players over to our player development department, we've got a chance for guys to get a lot better. Uh, Kyle Haynes runs, runs our player development department. He's one of the best in the business. We've got some of the best, most skilled instructors in the game. What we've seen in my short time here has, has been the ability for players to really improve in a lot of different ways. Um, so identifying athleticism and aptitude, it gives these guys a chance to really improve their game and grow not only on the field but off the field. Um, obviously, I think from my standpoint, we like to build from the middle of the field out. Um, identifying guys that can play in the middle of the diamond uh, usually is a good starting point. You know, middle infield, center field catcher. Uh, when you start on the corners and these guys start to mature and get older and hopefully get a lot of years under their belt at the major league level, if they start on the corner, usually the next stop is some type of role player or if they go to an American League team, some sort of DH role. You know, if you stay in the middle of the diamond, if they start to slow down, if age starts to work against them as they get older, they still have that option to kind of move to the corner. Now, ideally, you're always looking for that guy that plays in the middle of the diamond their whole career, and Brandon Crawford's a great example of that. Um, finding those guys sometimes can be hard, um, but obviously they're out there. So, you know, athleticism, aptitude, guys that play in the middle of the diamond, these are all guys that are definitely guys that interest us. You know, from a hitting standpoint, we like guys that can really control the strike zone. We like guys that can really look a baseball over. Um, guys that know which pitches to swing at and which don't, uh, good swing decision. Those are guys that have a chance to hit the ball hard and impact the baseball. Uh, we can help swings get better. Uh, we can help guys power as they mature and get older. Sometimes it's harder for us on the hitting side to help a guy's swing decision or his ability to control the zone. So that's obviously something that interests us quite a bit from the, from the hitting side, you know, on the mound, there's a, there's a, you know, a bit of big influx of velocity in our game over the last handful of years. And I tell people all the time, we carry radar guns. So velocity means something to it. Um, but obviously the ability to command the strike zone with, with multiple pitches, not just a fastball, but with multiple pitches, the ability to change, uh, change speeds, move the ball around. And then obviously if the velocity is on top of that, you know, you're talking about a top shelf type guy. So, um, that's a little bit kind of a snapshot of a lot of the things that, that I talk about with our guys. Um, and I, I think something that we've, we put a real emphasis on these first three years that I've been in San Francisco. Yeah, you led me into something I really wanted to ask you there. There, there are clear priorities for this organization. I would imagine most, but you can really see this organization prioritize strike throwing uh, for pitchers and for hitters the ability to control the strike zone. Does a player have to be good at that when you scout him, or can that be handled by teaching once you get into the organization? I, I, I would imagine, you know, if not, uh, I mean, some players are are eliminated from your scope right away. No, um, try not to eliminate because I I do live by the, the kind of mantra that good players do get better. So I I don't want to eliminate the opportunity for a player to improve a certain aspect of their game. I. I think when scouting, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, you have to kind of create that runway of a guy who's going to be able to improve a specific tool set or some type of aspect of their game. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it is something that catches our eye. You know, guys that are competitive in the strike zone on the mound, 
You know, we like guys that can compete in the zone, that can get swings and misses in the zone, not only with their fastball, with their secondary stuff as well. And we like guys that can make hard contact and are competitive in the zone where they're not expanding and they can look a baseball over. So, yeah, I wouldn't say guys are eliminated if maybe um, it's not one of their strengths uh, because they could carry another whole set of tools uh, that kind of keep them competitive while that aspect of their game is growing. Um, but it is definitely something that's attractive to us. Um, we feel like it's an, if, a, if a player on the mound or at the plate um, can be competitive in the zone or can control the zone, uh, we've got a chance to develop the type of player that we want in our system and the type of guy that can definitely fill some sort of roster spot uh, for Gabe at the major league level. It, it, it's so fascinating to me because it, 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 it sort of falls into a question that I, I know gets asked of you a lot, those of you who do this for a living, which is that when a draft comes around and it's about to be your turn, uh, you guys will almost always say, we want the best player available. Um, but you also have to go in with some sort of an idea, some sort of a plan, uh, certain guys that you may like more than others. So how – how does that conversation we're having factor in here when it gets to be your turn, the best player or a certain type of player that fits the Giants? Uh, yeah, I think all 30 directors would tell you that, you know, it's a best player available type approach. Um, the hardest thing, the hardest thing for people, I think, to understand that I try to tell people is, you know, when you're picking in the first round or even second round or third round, um, there's a lot of good players available. I mean, even when you're picking in the team round, there's a lot of good players available. That's the beauty of our game. The amateur game has gotten so much better uh, over time that there's a tremendous amount of very skilled and, uh, you know, really good players out there to choose from. So, um, yes, it's kind of a best player available type approach, but the fact of the matter is when they say, Giants, you're on the clock, there's a lot of good players available. So what you're trying to do is you're just trying to identify that as a group, the guy that we think is a fit for us, and and that's the route you go. Uh, you've worked with Farhan Zaidi for many years, going back to your A's days as well. He has become increasingly a fascinating figure across baseball, and Giants fans, I think, are, are, are very intrigued. Uh, and you two are obviously aligned. In, in your words, what sets him apart? Uh, well, not only being one of the smartest people I know, uh, he's definitely one of the most loyal and trusting people that I've been around. And I think, I think the players, the major league staff, and all the staff members in scouting and player development, uh, and even in the office, uh, have seen that, you know, since his time coming, coming on board. Um, you know, the thing that separates him from me is, uh, one, he empowers everyone that, works for him the ability to do their job um and he kind of allows you to do it in the way you see fit which kind of qualifies for that trust and loyalty factor that i talk about um but the thing that he always does for me that i appreciate is he also challenges me quite a bit when i mean challenges he forces me to look at things sometimes differently than i i either have or am willing to um and just that type of challenging mentality to spark conversation and talk through decisions and different things. I think what it does is it forces not only me, but all the guys on our staff, all the guys throughout the organization, um, and a, a chance and an opportunity to grow. 
And what I see is a lot of growth within our system uh, with everyone involved. And that growth has really kind of helped not only the decisions we make, but the processes that we have. I think we've been able to grow the way we do things um, in a very short time. Uh, And it's just based off his leadership skills and the way he goes about it. Um, the The story I like to tell about Farhan is, you know, I obviously worked with him in Oakland and, you know, there was a specific way that he kind of, you know, looked at players, I would say, when he first got into to the game. Um, but I give him a lot of credit. You know, he dove, he dove headfirst into player development. He tried to learn everything there was about player development. He dove headfirst right into scouting at the amateur and the pro scouting side of things. And he tried to immerse himself in both departments to learn everything about that. And what he's been able to do is basically assemble this whole wealth of knowledge from all different angles um, and apply it to a lot of things that were his strengths when he first got into the game. And he's not only become a tremendous evaluator, um, but being able to analyze games, being able to look at it from an analytic side, being able to manage rosters. So now he's become this complete person that I've seen develop over over the years. And I think Giants fans are starting to understand that and see that. Um, and I think his strengths are really starting to show. Do you guys ever watch games together? Um, we we have some in the past. It's been a little, you know, tough through the pandemic here the yeah. past couple of years, trying to kind of all, all assemble, uh, you know, safely to watch games. But, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to kind of sit down or get on the phone with him and recap games and um, – you know, the beauty of it from the amateur side is I can send him to see an amateur player, and uh, we talk about that player after the fact, and there's things he'll bring up that maybe I haven't even noticed and vice versa. So just being able to have that person to talk back and forth about, uh, whether it be about amateur players or the major league games or whatever, uh, it brings a nice balance of how we view things. This year's draft nine straight pitchers out, out of the gate to, to what degree was this the plan or at least was there an openness to something like that happening? Yeah, Mark, I, I wouldn't say it was like the plan um, from the very get go. I, I think it sort of just evolved that way. Um, you know, I told anybody that asked going into this thing that I felt one of the strengths of this year's draft was the, was the pitching market and mostly at the collegiate level. Um, and what we saw was a chance to kind of take advantage of that, what we saw was the strength of this draft. Um, it sort of evolved into it being nine out of the first ten. Um, but I can tell you that from our from our end, we're extremely happy with the guys that we got. They're guys that we identified really early of guys that we had interest in. Um, sometimes it never plays out the way you, you wanted to or you designed it to. Um, but I can tell you that from our standpoint, my staff and everybody involved, uh, we walked out of that room extremely happy. So that's interesting. You're saying this was more about what was available in the draft as opposed to your farm system, which has a lot of talent, but most of the high-level or at least high-ranked players are position players. So it seemed like you, you, you you, you wanted an influx of pitching talent into the farm system. Was this more about the draft or, or the farm or a, a mix of both? I, I would say probably slightly a mix of both. Um, obviously, it's, it's part of my job to kind of have conversation and figure out 
you know, where we're at as a farm system. And I do my job to try to evaluate our system. And I talk with others kind of where we're at and have conversations with Scott and Farhan about, you know, where we're at. Um, I do think it'd be slightly short-sighted for us to try to so-called draft for need based off of where we're at, because I think sometimes you kind of walk away from good players. And what we don't want to do is not take advantage of abilities to put good players into our system, uh, no matter what the position is. Um, But, yeah, I would say, you know, the first couple years I was here, our board may have been slightly, you know, slanted to the position player side. And I think our, our farm system speaks for itself from a position player standpoint. And a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for that. You know, John Barr, uh, Joe Salermo, um, uh, Zach Manassian on the pro side from a minor league free agency side. So a lot of people deserve a lot of credit. Um, we feel like we're in a really good spot position player-wise. That being said, we would not have walked away from a position player that fit for us when it was our time to pick. It sort of just played out that way. Um, but what we've done is we feel like we put a lot of good pitchers into our system, and we all know that you can never have too many arms. There's a lot of buoys to navigate for our pitchers as they work their way towards the big leagues. So being able to kind of build some depth from that capacity, I think, is, is going to put us in a really good place. How would you describe where the farm system is compared to where it was when you joined the Giants three years ago? Um, I think, and I actually talked to a few people about this. Uh, when I first entered three years ago, uh, the first thing that kind of stuck in my head was this system's underrated. Um, I didn't think it got the recognition it deserved. I thought there was a lot more more quality players within the system than maybe some outside people gave it credit for. Um, so trying to evaluate where we're at now compared to them, I don't necessarily think is fair because I think the system was probably better than it was getting the credit for. But I, do, I am excited about the players that we've been able to put in, uh, whether it's the trade market, whether it's through international, whether it's through the amateur draft. Um, and I think we're putting ourselves into a position uh, to have one of the top farm systems in the game. Uh, and anytime you can do that, you build depth. I think everybody knows that, you know, Farhan's going to be the type of uh, leader that's going to really dive in and use that type of depth at the major league level. Um, and it's given us that type of depth where we're healthy. Uh, we've, got, we've got players from top to bottom uh, all the way into the DSL, into the Arizona League, up to AAA. And anytime you can have that type of volume, then you're only giving yourself opportunities um, and options at the major league level. Speaking of this farm system, you're the director of amateur scouting. So once the players join the system and become professionals, are, are they out of your scope? Are you still keeping tabs on them? What, what's, what's your role with them once they're here? Uh, uh, no, these guys – these guys know I can't go to sleep at night without checking box scores right. of them. So, uh, and uh, it stinks when I'm on the East Coast because I'm waiting for that San Jose, Eugene, and Arizona League games in Sacramento to get done at a late hour. But, no, listen, I think one of the most important things from my spectrum is our handoff to, the, to Kyle Haynes and his group. Um, we try to have a really seamless uh, quality handoff to those guys we spend time on the phone. Our scouts get on Zoom calls with our instructors, with our, our coordinators, with Kyle and his entire group, and we basically give them a complete download of the player that we're handing off to them uh, on and off the field. I think that type of transition is really important. 
to start a player's career. I think it's really important for our farm, our player development guys to hit the ground running as far as getting to know these guys. Um, they're going to get to know them a lot quicker than we do. It takes us quite a bit of time to get to know the players. I'd say they learn more about them in a much shorter time because they get to be around them a lot more. Um, but, no, listen, I don't hand these guys off and forget about them and move on to the next crew like some people think. Um, I, I do my best to continue to be a huge part of these guys' career, uh, not necessarily with their on-field stuff. I leave that up to our instructors. Uh, but I want these guys to know that myself, our entire amateur staff, are with them the entire way. We're, we try to be a tremendous amount of support and a support system for these guys. Um, it's a real collaborative, collaborative effort. Uh, with everybody kind of all hands on deck trying to help these guys and put them in the best position possible to succeed. Uh, tell me what it was or is that you guys love so much about Will Bednar. Uh, well, first of all, he's one of the one of the best competitors I've ever scouted. Uh, when this guy gets on the mound, he, he likes to get after it. Um, super competitor. Uh, a fiery streak that maybe a lot of Giants fans, if they got a chance to see him on TV at the College World Series, saw come out of him. Um, but he's a he's a guy that uh, is durable. He's physical. He's got the ability to log in, log innings, and pitch deep in the games. He's got a fastball up to 97 that gets misses in the zone, which is an attribute that that we like, and specifically myself, I'm really attracted to. Um, he's got a slider that can miss bats in and out of the zone with the ability to expand and put hitters away. Um, and he's got a changeup that probably didn't get used because he didn't have to as much, uh, especially on his late season run through the uh, regional, super regionals and world series. Uh, but it's a third pitch that we've seen uh, that's definitely not lacking in his mix. And uh, just the ability to command the baseball with a three pitch mix and power. Uh, and become super competitive, I think, is what Giant fans are going to see. As this draft starts to work its way back to normal, and as you said, it, it felt a little more normal this time, not totally all the way there, but we've also watched it evolve into much more of an event. I think it, it, it gets more attention. Um, there, there's, there's more media around it, but it is still, because of the way it's built, I mean, it's it's not – the NFL with the NBA, the commissioners up there, guys are walking up, get a hat, smile, wave, that whole thing. But but what what do you think about the draft as an event? Where can and should this go? Well, first of all, it's exciting the amount of attention that it you know it got this year. Um, I can think back to when I first started, and the whole thing was done over a over a conference call with right. really no media exposure whatsoever. Um, I think what's you know what separates it from the NFL and the NBA draft is um, you know one we're we're the one of the only four major uh, professional sports that draft during season you know with basketball and football and hockey they tend to draft you know outside of their their scheduled season and we do it you know within ours so it does create opportunity for it to to have growth as far as its exposure um, not only on the players but on the team selection. You know, another difference for me is with the other sports, you know, specifically football and basketball, these guys go straight from the podium with the commissioner um, to trying to make the roster, you know, <laughs> uh, at, the, at the top, right? And where our guy, most of our guys enter, you know, through, through the minor leagues, and that's kind of their gateway into professional baseball as they work their way up to the big leagues. So there was a time where a lot of fans didn't even 
didn't know who some of these players were. Maybe there wasn't as much interest because they wouldn't see them for a few years. Um, but what's great about the college game, the high school level, and most importantly our draft is the exposure's grown so much. Fans know who these players are. Um, they have more exposure to these players, whether it be via TV or social media uh, or the Internet. They have an idea who a lot of these guys are. Um, and they're excited about some of the players that you take, and they, they follow them throughout their minor league career. Um, and it's not just something they start to learn about them once they reach the big leagues. So we've seen that kind of growth over the last however many years. I think there's still room for growth with the draft and its exposure, being able to hold it at the All-Star game this year um, the way it was uh, definitely created a lot of excitement, not only for fans, but it, even within, you know, 30 draft rooms, it created a lot of excitement within the scouts, uh, myself included. So uh, I'm excited about the way it's going. I'm excited about the future of it, and I think it's only going to grow more. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our sponsor, T-Mobile, one of our favorite partners because of how relevant they are to Giants fans. Because you're never far from McCovey Cove when you've got America's largest and fastest 5G network. In other words, T-Mobile is your ticket to the game, whether you're home or away. The Giants are big league. Why don't you come on up and join them? Switch to T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Fastest 5G by Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA 5G experience report January 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now back to Inside Giant Moments. While we're on the subject of the draft, we got the chance to talk to Mike Yastrzemski, who knows his way around the event. That's because he was drafted three times, once out of high school by his hometown Red Sox, and then again after his junior and senior years. He explains what emotions he felt each time and what went into his decisions to keep the faith through four years of college at Vanderbilt. You've been drafted three times, which I would imagine, I guess, is not that rare in baseball, but it's still kind of cool. Uh, as you approached the first draft and you were coming out of high school, what, what was your thought process at that time? Um, at that time, I thought there was 0% chance I'd be drafted. I thought that I was going to just kind of cruise on into college and, you know, try my luck there and see how I could um, – try and make a career out of what I really wanted in life. And so I just had zero intention of thinking that I was going to be drafted at all. So what was, what was it like when you received the news? I was the biggest thrill. I had to be drafted by my hometown team. It was yeah. like, it was the craziest thing. I couldn't believe it. So drafted by the Red Sox in the 36th round, and I imagine you still knew Vanderbilt was, was the choice, but, but because it was your hometown team, your grandfather's team, I, I, did it give you pause at all? No, I, I, was, I was ready for college. That was, that was my thought process the whole time. I was where I wanted to be. Um, it was going to take a miracle to drag me away from that place. Uh, was there even a conversation with the Red Sox? Like, was there a phone call? How did that go? I I think they knew from day one. Um, I think that was like a, a nice gesture and appreciation of, um, you know, my, my grandfather and what he meant to them. And um, that was their way of acknowledging that they knew that I was a good player and they wanted to keep their eye on me. But it was 
felt like it was a, just a really cool gesture of, of appreciation. So off to Vandy you go. Then after your junior year when you're eligible, the Mariners grab you in the 30th round, but they offer you money that was well above your slot. So what, what went into that decision? Um, that was crazy. That was, you know, that was one of the harder decisions I've had to make. And, you know, there were, there were two things that were kind of sitting with me when I was making that decision. The first thing was I promised my dad that I would get a college degree. Um, he missed his by, I think, a couple credits or something like that, and it kind of haunted him. And so I promised him I would get my degree. And I, I had this, like, strange feeling that if I had signed, I wasn't going to get my degree. Um, so that was the biggest thing. And then the second thing was um, Corbs talks about the first thing when you get there is that the only thing that nobody can take away from you once you've kind of moved on and died is your degree. Like that's something that goes to the grave with you. And that's a, that's a lifelong accomplishment and it's an achievement that I'm proud of. And, and I'm glad to, to hold dear to my heart that, um, you know, I stuck it out and, and went for all four years and kind of completed that chapter in my life. You mentioned Corbs, Tim Corbin, your head coach at, at Vandy. Were, were there direct conversations with him in, in that moment? Was he one of the, you know, your your sort of uh, counselors at that time? Actually, the best thing that he did for me was that he kind of didn't offer me any advice hmm. um, because he didn't want he didn't want me to think that he was being biased or or selfish in any situation, you know, because he, he wanted me to come back as bad as anything, but he also wanted me to make the right decision for my life. So he, you know, when I left, he said, Hey, you, you're always welcome here, no matter what you, what decision you make, you know, just the only thing that I ask is whenever you know what you're doing, just give me a call and let me know what's, what's going to happen. And, you know, I called him back and I, so this went down to the deadline. So I didn't talk to him all summer. Like he wasn't even asking me, um, you know, where, what have they offered you? What are you thinking? What would you sign for? Um, he didn't, he didn't do any of that. Uh, he just kind of let me do my own thing. And that was, I, I thought very selfless and, and kind of a great leadership learning moment for me was that, you know, I learned how important it is to make people feel comfortable to, to learn to make their own decisions and, because ultimately you want – if you want what's best for that person, you're going to want them to, to do what's right for them. And he could have been very selfish and told me, you know, every aspect of why he wanted me to come back or why he wanted me to sign. But um, he didn't feel that it was his place to, to put that in. He wanted me to make my decision on my own, and um, I'm obviously forever grateful for that. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I'm also wondering about these uh, experiences because we as fans, we don't see much of the MLB draft like we do in the NBA or the NFL. So w- what what are those days like? How how do you find out and how does the phone call go? <laughs> Pretty stressful, to be honest with you. Really? And there's like, there's so, there's so many people in the media that write about this that have these projections and expectations and who they think is going to get taken. So you have this like bubble where it's like, okay, here's, you know, let's, we'll give an example of like, I'm expected to be drafted in the fifth to 10th round, but my top end could be, if somebody really likes me, they could take me in the third. 
or I could drop to the 15th. Like you just like, there's so many different things that get told to you about where your tools play and what you should sign for and all this. And then as it starts going by and the rounds start dropping and dropping gets later into the day, like the anxiety just builds. You're like, all right, like, am I ever going to get a chance here? Like, all right, like just give me something, throw me a bone. But, um, yeah, it's hectic. You know, you're, you're nervous. You're watching the, the draft trackers on a computer and on following on Twitter and stuff like that. But, um, it's just, I don't know. It's probably, it, it, I probably didn't do it the healthiest way, right. <laughs> but yeah. I think there's probably more sane ways to do it and just wait for your phone call. But, um, yeah. And then the, the phone call is just so exciting. You know, you get a call. Um, I think I got a call from, uh, Dan Duquette cause he was the GM at the time of the Orioles and, you know, was excited that, they had, they had drafted me, and, you know, it was nice to have, uh, you know, kind of a friendly face, somebody that, you know, I know that my family has ties to, and that gave me a little bit of peace of mind being graduated and ready to move on. And um, it's just a really, really cool experience, and it's something that some guys get once in a lifetime. It's something that you get potentially three times, um, but no matter how many times it happens, it never takes away the excitement. Uh, so it was Orioles round 14, uh, as you just mentioned there. And, and I wonder, like you said, you were watching a draft tracker. What, did you know before the phone rang, or, or was the phone call the first thing? Um, no, I, I found out. Um, I was actually on the phone with my agent at the time. And he you started to talk about, you know, it was getting to the point where it's almost a scenario where you start calling teams and, you know, trying to pick your organization and trying to find one that fits for you when you're a senior signed like that. You know, it's like, okay, if we're going to be signing for pennies here, we might as well make sure we go to the right organization. And so the Orioles was one of the ones that he mentioned. And as he was mentioning the Orioles, it popped up and said that they drafted, uh, they had drafted me. And so he, uh, he actually got a call from Dan right at that moment. So, um, it was it was crazy how that happened. I mean, there's so many picks, there's so many rounds, uh, so it's not possible. But do you you know we talked about the differences with the NFL and NBA draft? <laughs> like you get that call, but you don't get to walk up on a stage and get an Oriole hat and wave at everybody. Like, do you wish that the MLB draft was sort of presented a little differently? Yeah, that would, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're why. yeah they're trying. I think they're starting to do a few different things. Yeah, they've done, like, a little bit. Like, they've done uh, – I think they've done a thing on, like, MLB Network where you, like, go up on stage, but it's usually, like, the top ten picks, you know? It's right. not like – I don't know. That would be interesting, though. Yeah. I wonder why they don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it might just be because everything's so spread out and there's so many guys being picked. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, like minor league ball. I mean, it sends you all over the place. So when you when you get that, that call, are, are you even thinking – of geography, you said you were talking and thinking about quality of organization. Were you glad it was an East Coast team? Like, what, what was your thought there? Yeah, I was. Um, I think that was a, a big sigh of relief, too, was the fact that everything was on the East Coast. And the cool thing about the, the Orioles at the time was that everything was within an hour and a half distance of each other, basically, an hour and a half to two hours, you know, the 
furthest place away from Baltimore, I think, was Norfolk. So there was no no really spreading out. I knew I was going to be somewhere in Maryland or Virginia. And that was kind of the coolest part about it. It was like, this is pretty simple in terms of quality of life and not having to go from, you know, from Vegas to Nashville to, you know, who knows where, you know. Uh, but you're okay being on the West Coast now. I love being on the West Coast now. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say in your career, you ended up exactly where you're supposed to be. I agree with you. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review, and share this episode with your friends and family. To make sure you never miss these exclusive conversations each week, subscribe and follow the Inside Giant Moments podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.